Welcome to Understand Murdoch, a podcast from the Post and Courier, South Carolina's largest newspaper. Our award-winning reporters have spent more than a year digging into the Murdoch saga to bring you the latest news and in-depth analysis as we cover this story of drugs, deceit, and death in South Carolina's rural low country. The first criminal trial in South Carolina's sprawling Murdoch saga ended in a resounding defeat for Russell Lafitte, the Hampton banker charged with helping disgraced attorney Alec Murdoch steal nearly $2 million from their mutual clients. The former Palmetto State Bank chief executive was convicted on all six federal counts against him after a full day of jury deliberations on November 22nd. But Lafitte's case and the web of state and federal Murdoch investigations are far from finished. On this episode, I'm joined by Post and Courier investigative reporter Avery Wilkes to discuss what's on the horizon in Lafitte's federal case. Hey, great to be here. So what are the next immediate steps for Lafitte? So Lafitte's legal team has 14 days from the date of the conviction to file post-trial motions for Judge Richard Gurgle to consider. They can ask for a new trial, for instance, or They can ask for the judge to overturn the jury's verdict by claiming the evidence presented at trial overwhelmingly supported acquittal. Uh, Those kinds of requests are rarely granted. Uh, And during the trial, Gurgle twice denied uh, motions by Lafitte's team for a directed verdict acquitting Lafitte. Uh, And those filings don't necessarily constitute a formal appeal, which would come later, but they could offer a preview of Lafitte's post-conviction strategy. And we should note that we tried to reach Lafitte's defense team for comment before the Thanksgiving holiday, but we did not hear back. And how much prison time does he face? He was convicted on six federal counts that each carry a maximum 30-year sentence. But that doesn't mean he is going to be sentenced to 180 years in prison, as you'll sometimes see reporters say. Uh, The default position in the federal system is for sentences to be served concurrently, which means at the same time, rather than consecutively, which means one after another. So that means that Lafitte would likely spend no more than 30 years behind bars at the maximum. Realistically, he will probably get a fraction of that. uh, And and we'll explain sort of uh, how that formula works out later. Um, But it's also important to know that parole has been abolished at the federal level. So whatever Lafitte uh, is is assigned, uh, whatever sentence he's given is the time that he will serve. So when will he be sentenced? The federal sentencing process typically takes about three months. Um, it's a, a fairly involved process that I've, I've covered a bunch recently. Probation officials will study the case and prepare a confidential pre-sentence report. Uh, you typically hear that referred to as the PSR. And that offers the judge a guideline range of sentences. Uh, I've been covering a lot of the January 6 cases lately, and you'll see, you know, sentences of 46 to 57 months or uh, 21 to 41 months. Uh, but it's generally just a range that the judge has to consider. And then the judge can decide whether to go above it, below it, or uh, more typically stay within that range. So that report will take into account Lafitte's prior criminal record, the severity of his wrongdoing the impact of his crimes on his victims, uh, and just a host of other factors. And each of those factors will carry a certain point total. And those points are plugged into a formula that helps decide a defendant's possible sentence. So factors that will work in Lafitte's favor, such as his lack of a criminal history before this, will reduce the points against him. But factors that work against him, like his failure to acknowledge wrongdoing during this trial, 
and his alleged failure to fully cooperate with the government's investigation uh, will raise his points total. And that's really one reason that you see so many federal defendants plead guilty and cooperate when they become the target or the subject of one of these federal investigations. And that's because they get a reduced sentence in return for cooperating and for you know acknowledging wrongdoing and, and pleading guilty. At trial, uh, Lafitte did try to emphasize his cooperation with investigators. Uh, his lawyers cited his efforts to track down many of the bank records that were shown to jurors during the case. But prosecutors didn't necessarily agree that he fully cooperated. They said his answers from the witness stand were inconsistent with an interview with law enforcement earlier this year. Uh, and and they you know said that he actually lied to the FBI in uh, uh, previously in the investigation. So there is not much love lost between the defense and the prosecution that will help him at sentencing. Now, both sides will have an opportunity to review and object to the conclusions made in this confidential PSR. And the judge will consider those objections before issuing his sentence. Uh, both sides will also get a chance uh, to provide input at Lafitte's sentencing hearing. His defense attorneys can make their case for what's called a downward departure, which is a sentence below the recommended sentencing range. And prosecutors can request an upward variance, which is a harsher sentence than what probation officials recommended. But like I said earlier, the ultimate decision rests with the judge and uh, judges typically stick within that guideline range that probation officials suggest. So what's after that? After sentencing, uh, Lafitte's team will have 14 days to announce an appeal if they're going to appeal. And then who knows, the appeals process could drag on for a while or even years, depending on the issues at play. And if he doesn't appeal, then you would proceed to uh, whatever his sentence is, whether it's incarceration or otherwise. And why might Lafitte appeal now? So Lafitte's lawyers could appeal based on anything they believed harmed their client's chance at a fair trial. Uh, it could be mistakes they believe were made by prosecutors or the judge during the trial. Evidence that they believe uh, was introduced that sh they believe should have been excluded. Evidence that was excluded that they think should have been introduced. They might also argue that the jury erred in convicting their client because prosecutors simply didn't present enough evidence to prove his guilt. Lafitte's attorneys might also appeal based on the chaos that ensued in the jury room in the hours before the guilty verdicts were announced. Yeah, that's a good point. Can you run us through exactly what that chaos was? What exactly happened there? Yeah, about 10 hours into the jury deliberations, Judge Gurgle received a series of notes from jurors. Uh, one of them uh, said that she needed to take a medication soon and felt pressure to change her vote. Another juror, uh, well, actually a group of jurors complained about a juror who had become hostile and refused to consider evidence that was presented at trial. And then a third note came from a juror who said she was suffering from anxiety and could not continue to serve. So Gurgle uh, said that he was in, quote, virgin territory and, uh, you know, that, that he was trying to figure out sort of what to do. He ultimately replaced two of the jurors with alternates. And then the jury finished up its work and came up with a verdict about 45 minutes later. Now, Lafitte, defense attorney Bart Daniel actually objected during the trial uh, to the removal of that juror or, or of the juror with anxiety. But he was overruled and, uh, and, and obviously that juror was replaced. Uh, now, I spoke with several attorneys 
and some current and former prosecutors after this trial, including Pete Strom, who's a Columbia trial lawyer and former U.S. attorney for South Carolina. And they all thought that the issues with the jury would be the most fertile ground for an appeal. And everyone also seems confident that an appeal is coming. Would there be any reason or any chance Lafitte wouldn't appeal then? Yeah, there could be a little gamesmanship here by Lafitte's legal team. Uh, Appealing this conviction might not actually be in their client's best interest. Uh, and, And sort of here's why. Lafitte still has a host of pending state charges against him. No trial date has been set on those charges, and the state attorney general's office hasn't even committed to bringing their case against Lafitte to trial. But um, state prosecutors are basically hanging on to those charges, as they do in many sort of joint and federal, uh, joint state and federal investigations. And if they feel that Lafitte has gotten off easy in his federal case, he didn't get as much prison time as they wanted, or uh, they didn't like the plea deal that you know, the feds would have potentially agreed to, which obviously didn't happen in that case, then they can press ahead with their state charges against him and try to bring their version of of justice against uh, against the defendant. As we've said in an earlier episode, a minimum security federal prison is a far more enjoyable experience than the State Department of Corrections. If Lafitte thinks he's going to spend significant time behind bars anyway, he would probably rather do it on the federal charges. So you know, one reason they may not appeal is, you know, he doesn't want to uh, be too successful and and bring the uh, the sort of might of the, the state against him. And when would he actually report to prison? So in state court, convicted felons are typically sent to jail as soon as their sentences are issued. But white collar criminals in federal court get more leeway. Uh, if sentenced to prison, Lafitte, who is currently free on bail, would likely be able uh, to turn himself in to voluntarily surrender uh, at a later date. And that typically comes a few months after sentencing. So probably about six months from now. Um, And that delay gives defendants times to get their affairs in order. And it gives prison officials time to, you know, figure out which facility is going to house them. Uh, Defendants often ask to remain out on bail pending their appeals. Uh, We've seen that in a number of cases recently, but that request is not always granted, especially if the courts don't view the appeals as particularly likely to succeed. And do you have any idea what what might happen behind the scenes between now and then? There's still time for gamesmanship. As I mentioned earlier, there's still time for Lafitte to try to cut a deal with uh, federal prosecutors. They could go to the feds and offer to waive their appeals uh, in return for a lighter sentence. They do have some leverage there because, you know, nobody wants to retry this case. Nobody wants to go through all of this again. Uh, and, and maybe prosecutors would be inclined to accept a deal like that that helps them avoid Uh, years and years of appeals. Uh, They could also offer to cooperate more fully with the federal investigation in return for more leniency for Lafitte at sentencing. So there are still a few, uh, you know, plays out there that are available to Lafitte and his legal team, even after conviction. So the feds have got a major victory in the first Murdoch case, but what's the next investigation? Yeah, that's the million dollar question. Uh, Lafitte is still the only defendant to be charged in the federal side of this investigation of Alec Murdoch's alleged crimes. But anyone who has kept up with the case or the coverage of his trial will be wondering why Alec Murdoch himself hasn't been charged. Uh, Perhaps they're thinking that some of what they heard in the Lafitte trial Uh, constituted criminal wrongdoing by other people other than just Murdoch and Lafitte. 
uh, and, and of course, Murdoch was mentioned repeatedly uh, uh, by name in, in parts of Lafitte's charging documents and trial, and also uh, by sort of the pseudonym, the bank customer uh, throughout the original indictment of Lafitte. And Lafitte's lawyers were adamant that uh, really it should have been Murdoch who was on trial, that the disbarred Hampton attorney was, you know, the real mastermind and the only mastermind of these financial schemes. So, um, you know, there, there's there's plenty of uh, reason to question why Murdoch himself has not been indicted yet. Uh, there was also a moment in the trial, uh, I wanted to address this, where Lafitte himself admitted to tax evasion uh, and not reporting certain income that he received and working on some of these conservator cases for Murdoch's clients. Uh, but I'm told that that is now that action is now past the statute of limitations. So uh, I would not expect to see him prosecuted for for tax evasion related to that admission. Um, all that to say, the U.S. Attorney's Office of South Carolina is obviously not going to say what is next for them. Uh, in this case, or if they're targeting other defendants, uh, federal grand jury investigations, as well as state grand jury investigations are incredibly secretive and it's difficult to report on them and to get people to tell you what's really going on. Uh, but we are always working to figure out what's what's happening behind the scenes and we will report back when we know more. That's all for now. As always, stay tuned with The Post and Courier for the latest updates in the case. You can follow us on Twitter at Post and Courier. You can find our latest coverage on the Murdoch landing page, postandcourier.com slash Murdoch. We would love if you could send questions, feedback, and tips to our Murdoch email address. That's Murdoch at postandcourier.com. And also, please take a minute to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you like the show. We'll see you next time.